Hello and welcome to Teaching My Cat to Read, the very serious book review podcast. I'm Eli. I'm Em. And I'm Lottie. And this week we're discussing everything about Much Ado About Nothing by William Shakespeare. My favourite um, iteration of his name is Willem Shakespeare, because he didn't always used to sign his name the same way because spelling was less formalised back in the day. It's one of my favourite things about watching people tag it on Tumblr, because everybody's got their own Shakespeare tag, and so many of them are just different ways he spelt his own name. Yeah, Willem Shakespeare. That makes me very happy. It's Yeah, it's very charming to me. We all know who we're talking about. <laughs> yes. I mean, I tag everything Shakespeare, but that's just me. Yeah, let's not get into the whole, did Shakespeare really write it? Because I think we're all firmly on the, yes, Shakespeare wrote his own yeah. plays. And he's uh, Fordians can die in a fire, and that is our official position that, on this. That's the official <laughs> position of this podcast, and we're not going to be discussing that anymore. <laughs> Wait, do we want to do a terrible summary then? <laughs> yeah, terrible summary. My mm. terrible summary is probably two disaster bisexuals accidentally end up married. <laughs> I quite like the temporarily fatal consequences of call-out culture myself. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I I I always thought it was a better romantic comedy than modern rom-coms and also as a bonus it has no second-hand embarrassment and that is what I hate about modern rom-coms. So Ooh, mm. I don't know that I would say there's no second-hand embarrassment. Well, the dogbury exists, right? That's yeah, true. That's true. But there again that was like the comedy section for hundreds of years ago which i feel mm. i don't know secondhand embarrassment yeah. a couple hundred years ago is less secondhand embarrassing than now anyway yeah. we've got the benefit of uh, 200 no may more many more years of difference uh so it's fine it's fine now we go over who the main characters are i, I can read out the persons represented at the start of the play from my complete <laughs> works of william shakespeare which has come <laughs> in handy i tried to track down the annotated version i have from gcse english which is when i first <laughs> encountered mm. this as a piece of mm. sort of like actually you know yeah read it and saw it and stuff do you know what i think my version of that is probably in this house somewhere but it didn't occur to me to try and find it and i left my complete works of, of billy shakes at home so mm-hmm. so main characters obviously the two main characters are the two who end up to well two of the the couples that end up together mm. two of the people the former couple that, that end up together one of the couples <laughs> Words are hard. We're already falling falling we down at the first are. hurdle here. It's like, who are people's names again? We looked at the lofty heights of Shakespeare's wordsmithing and just f- tripped over our own feet immediately. Yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Beatrice and Benedict. Yes. <laughs> the best. Yes, who mm. are both sworn um, singletons at the beginning of this, saying mm-hmm. they, rail, they rail against marriage. They say, I would hate to be married. Beatrice is like, I would sooner hear my dog bark at a crow than hear a man swear he loves me. And um, Benedict is like, oh, I'm a lad. I go out drinking with the lads and I'll never settle with a woman. So on and so forth. Um, one of yeah. those was a direct quote and Benedict's <laughs> was not. <laughs> and, and he is, so Benedict is the, I guess, favourite. I don't know what how you put it now, the relationship between Benedict and Don Pedro, who is the Prince of Aragon, uh, assuming the Prince of Spain. Yeah, Aragon's Yeah, I mean, he's his boss, really. Yeah. But they're also like friends, sort of. Yeah. Don Pedro trusts Benedict, and they've mm-hmm. been on many campaigns together and fought together yeah. and whatnot. And then there's Claudio, who is the, I guess, a younger soldier type. Sort of a rising favorite star. Of, of Don Pedro. And then we have Don John, jo- Don Pedro's bastard brother. And they they have recently reconciled after a period of estrangement at the time of the play. Yeah, and he's the he's the villain of the piece. He's the bad guy, and um, you can tell this because in the Kenneth Branagh version, he's played by Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah, and also he has black clothing. Like all of his clothes are black for no reason. Absolutely stellar performance by Keanu Reeves. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then that little like band of like Don Pedro, Don John, Claudio, and Benedict are are they stopping over at? Leonardo. Yeah, it's like they've just won a war and they've come to stay at their good old friend, Signor Leonardo, who is yeah. Beatrice's uncle. Um, he has a daughter mm-hmm. called yes. Hero, who is central to the play, but does not get much to do. Young and naive. And then you've got 
few other sort of people who are related there is also so in, in my little list there's someone called a boy i was like the, 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 you know when you have like tree three in your school play yeah. i yeah. feel this is like shakespeare's equivalent what is more annoying a boy is listed above beatrice in the list and i'm like how <laughs> beatrice is the main character i will say that the um so i think uh, we're going to probably talk about the adaptations various adaptations of mm. this later on but we recently watched the david tennant catherine tate adaptation and the boy that you are talking about is absolutely hilarious. He does not have. He has like one spoken line. Yeah, and yet he just it's runs around so with like funny. Rubik's cubes and shit and punctuating serious moments with um, just, very eighties toys. <laughs> like the disdain that only an eight-year-old can dish out. You yeah, know, of like, why are these adults being such idiots? Which is basically the whole plot: is people are idiots at each other. Someone yeah. almost mm-hmm. dies, and mm. everyone ends up married because it's a comedy. Yeah. yeah, basically sums it up. I mean, I first had this for Year 9 Sats, which oh, are... back when they did Sats. Back when they did Sats. Remember that? Year 9 Sats. Oh, for, for those of you who don't know what Sats are, they're exams that every like what state school child in England had to sit and then they use them to rank the schools. And we had to do a Shakespeare and our Shakespeare was much ado. Annoyingly, we did not do it for GCSE. We had to do Othello and we had to watch the world's worst production of Othello. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Hey, I had Romeo and Juliet for GCSE. Ooh. I suffered. <laughs> well, I had this and it was great because they decided we were old enough for them to teach us about the sex jokes. So Nice. One of my funniest memories of school Shakespeare is my sister coming home from having done Romeo and Juliet for the first time. And she had this, I think she was taught it by the same teacher that I was. And she was very like, oh, literature, look at the romance, blah, 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 blah. It's just very annoying. Very annoying lady. And she was going on about, yeah, Romeo and Juliet being this, like, amazing romantic tragedy. And my sister comes home and is just like, it's just dick jokes. It's just <laughs> dick jokes. I'm it's very confused. Dick jokes. People keep telling People keep telling me it's this great tragic romance. And it's like, dick joke? Dick joke? It's not dick a joke? romance. It is just a tragedy. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, let, let's do an episode on Romeo and Juliet at some point, I guess. Uh, but yes. um, I have emotions about Romeo and Juliet and none of them are like, oh, it's so romantic. It's like, yeah. it's heartbreaking. It's supposed to be really sad. And yeah. I mean, one of the things about Shakespeare's works is that the lines between his tragedies and his comedies can often be very thin. So yeah. there is conflict in this play, which is um, Claudio and Hero are engaged to be married, uh, sort of young idiots in love sort of set up. Mm. And Claudio is convinced by Don John and his band of uh, sort of scoundrels. Yeah, that Hero oh, that's an is... adaptation I'd love to see. Is that everybody, <laughs> everybody, all of Don John's minions are actual, literal yellow minions? Incredible, but like <laughs> it's it's amazing. a minion that's supposed to be seducing Hero. Uh oh, <laughs> I didn't think this through. <laughs> they managed to convince Claudio that Hero is cheating on him, or the Shakespearean equivalent of talking with a man late at night, so on and so forth, which obviously is you know a stand-in for banging someone, and mm-hmm. it's not really her. Hero is innocent, but Claudio buys it denounces her at the altar she faints in a shock loads of people leave and as the classic shakespeare ploy of oh let's give out that she's dead and let's yeah. see what happens if we tell people that she died yeah <laughs> it's a social experiment yeah, yeah what happens is that sort of uh, by the skin of the scenario's teeth it's, it's say like you know every, everything shakes out the deception is uncovered claudio and hero are able to marry at the end of the play which i personally hate i don't think she should yeah. take him back because he was yeah. an absolute turd to her and there is an adaptation where that happens and i really like it oh um <laughs> Ooh. yeah but the if that you know for want of a nail this the scenario in this play could have gone horribly wrong Beatrice and Benedict mm-hmm. never end up together or whatever. You could very easily imagine that scenario taking place. And that's yeah. the kind of thing that he does with his tragedies as well, as you can see the situation unfolding. You're powerless to stop it. And you can see the train wreck it, it, it incoming. Yeah. Which is what I think is actually Romeo and Juliet is sort of all about is, you know, you can see how this is all going to end in tears. Yeah. It's all going to end in a bit of a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> and there are so many ways it could have been averted. And if it had been, it would be a comedy and not a tragedy. In, yeah. in sort of playwright terms. In comedies, you listen to the women and you avert the train wreck. <laughs> yeah, there's a phenomenal Tumblr post that goes around about how in Shakespeare, women's agency and the the actions of the male characters, sort of if they listen to the women and take on board their advice mm-hmm. and their wisdom, um, will determine the outcome of the play. So, for example, mm-hmm. a pivotal moment in this is Benedict siding with 
Hero and Beatrice, Beatrice um, and yeah. choosing to believe which that Hero's she was own wronged. father doesn't even do exactly, I know. Um, which infuriates me. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is like a, a quote-unquote product of its time, if mm. that is the right use of the phrase. But yeah, like I mean, for for me, I I definitely feel I I love the first half of the play a lot more than the second half. Basically, as in the first half prior to. Um, Claudio and Hero like going up to the altar and then Claudio's like I don't want to marry you you're like unpure or whatever and everyone's like and then she quote unquote dies Mm. prior to that mainly because of all the puns and the wordplay and Mm -hmm. I mean I don't know about you guys my personal favourite bit of this entire play I think is in like the second is it the second or third scene where Beatrice and Benedict just turn up and just start having just a a battle of wits mm-hmm. and yeah. just it's the, the takedowns yeah. the takedowns of each other mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. brutal they're brutal mm. you could use them now if you're getting picked on you're like yeah screw you i don't like you i love the line where she's she's uh, somebody is describing him to her and, and sort of not realizing that she already knows him quite well and and she's just roasting him even though he's not there and there's a line mm. where she says oh um last time we spoke four of his five wits went halting off and now is the whole man governed with one i just thought how evocative that's so yeah. you know it, it's it's brutal yeah. and i love it and they end up married <laughs> I, I i personally love the one where the messenger basically is talking about benedict and he says oh and he's a good soldier to lady and then beatrice replies and a good soldier to a lady i was like oh. well if we're gonna Oh, if we're going to talk about their relationship, there's a bit later in the play where mm. Don Pedro has proposed to Beatrice and whether or not you read that as a, actually a romantic proposal or a mm. let's just be bastards together and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, have fun. Yeah, if neither of us are married by the time we're 40. Not actual bastards, not Don John bastards. But afterwards, he's talking to her, she turns him down, and he's talking to her about Benedict. And he says to mm. her, oh, you've lost the heart of Signor Benedict. And she goes... Yeah, he lent it to me once a while and I gave him use for it. A double heart for his single one. Marry, he once won it of me with false dice. Therefore, you may as well say that I've lost it. And it's like, that's never expounded upon. And it's this line that implies that they had a relationship before, but like it's never referenced anywhere else. It's not referenced by her uncle, by Hero. Nobody else brings it up. So like, was it a secret? It blows my mind. At the start, they do say that they had met each other before, and there was something. Oh about, yeah, they've like, known each other for ages. They they send each other letters. So I, I remember my teacher picking that point up and then just drilling into it so much it was awkward. It was like mm-hmm. no, it, it's just this one one offhand reference. But I guess in these times, what would have a relationship been like? I guess walking about together a bit. Like <laughs> you're not exactly going to go on a date to the cinema, are you? You know, well, courting. <laughs> um raising the expectations of the other person that something more serious might come of it so my take on it is that actually they did court once Mm. and Mm. something happened to ruin it that leaves Beatrice thinking that Benedict was false to her had won her heart with false dice and Mm. and equally that you know Benedict has left thinking that she's an awful person and we just don't get to know what that is we don't get to know what that history is between them except that they now make a great show of despising each other but obviously mm. as is sort of this famous saying that the opposite of um love is not hate it's indifference and love and hate yeah. are far closer than you might think yeah well, it's very i tell you what it reminds me of a little is the darcy lizzie sparring before they before they realize yeah. that the other is probably a decent person actually mm-hmm. and it's not that they there's not a hmm, i don't know how to put it exactly but it is i mean it is the drift compatible thing isn't it it's a, mm-hmm. like they argue well together even yes. before there's any like yeah any understanding you know there is like you know i could i could argue with you for the rest of my life that's cool yeah. we, we've got this we could go on forever like this like their ability um, to get under each other's skin is so well portrayed mm-hmm. and it's it makes it like you know it, it it really supports the fact that they actually mean a lot to each other even yeah. when they're at odds it's it's mm. a really interesting one because i feel like Claudio and Hero are like, I mean, Lottie was talking earlier about um, modern rom-coms, and I feel like most modern rom-coms want what Beatrice and Benedict have, but what they end up doing is very Claudio and Hero. It's always, oh, it's love at first sight. We don't really understand why these two people are into each other, except that they're both young and hot, I guess. 
There's a miscommunication, probably because they mm. don't actually know each other that well. There's massive drama that makes it look like they're not going to get together, and then they get together. And, like, in, meanwhile, we're all, everybody's sitting there rooting for Beatrice and Benedict, who clearly, like, get each other on some level. They've got a history. They've got an existing relationship. We can believe from what they show us that they could go over the length of this play from being sparring partners to being married, you know, it's um, but it's all very subtle. All of their character work, yeah. That like like Eli was saying, they sketch in this entire history with the lines that Eli mentioned. I think when we first see them actually banter with each other, Beatrice mm. ends with "You always end with a jade's trick." I know you of old, and it's this weirdly yeah. bitter line. Yeah. yeah, I have seen it played less bitter, but generally mm-hmm. speaking, I think they do. Most adaptations lean into Beatrice is actually a bit pissed about whatever this is. Yeah. Mm. There's something uncomfortable there. And Benedict doesn't get a chance to defend himself. Yeah. I I guess Beatrice's position, though, her position as a woman, again, Mm. sort of going back to, I guess, persuasion and even Pride and Prejudices, her position is much more reliant on marriage than, say, Benedict. Like, he, it Mm. doesn't matter Mm. if he marries. But what I did love is when Claudia goes to Benedict, and they're based, literally, I I mean, I made a note, is you've seen her and 20 seconds later you've fallen in love with her, WTF. Mm. And then (laughs) Benedict just goes in this absolute takedown of Claudio. And so Claudio's Mm. just like doing this romantic thing saying, oh, can the world buy such a jewel? And Benedict's like, yay, and a case to put it into. Like, he's like, get over yourself. You're not in love with her. You met her 20 seconds ago. And then Don Don Pedro is sort of supporting this sort of young love. And it's always romantic. Oh, yes, I will go and get her father's permission. And in none of this is anyone going, what's Hero's opinion? I know she can't really have an opinion. Like, she doesn't have that agency at this time. But it just, watching it now, I'm just like, she has an opinion too, guys. It's interesting you say that because I think that Don Pedro's reaction of, yes, I will immediately jump on board this ship and encourage it, is partly because he likes Claudio and he wants Claudio to have nice things, considering Hero to be a thing, right? Or Mm, or, or, or marriage to her, you know. But it's also to annoy Benedict. Yeah. Like he actually oh, get okay. he actually goes all in to piss off Benedict who is who is like foaming at the mouth at this turn of events. Mm. And it really isn't about Hero. Like as you say, it 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 yeah, Hero is not actually a person in that narrative in in that decision mm. to them. And it's interesting mm. as well that I think this kind of sets up the or uh, foreshadows, I guess, maybe the mm-hmm. the position we end up in the second half where Benedict is on Beatrice and Hero's side and Don Pedro and Claudio are both... They're acting the way they're supposed to act, right? They're acting according to society. And maybe I... Oh, well, I don't know that much about um, what the expectation of a romance plot was at the time. But it's very like, you know, Claudio and Hero, love at first sight, miscommunication, get together, blah. They are yeah. both acting, reacting to the news of Hero's so-called betrayal in a very sort of traditional, toxic masculinity, you know... Um, Cuckolding is the worst thing you can do to a guy. They're following the narrative. Mm. Of course Mm. we don't listen to the woman. Outrageous. The fact that those two are the ones that fall for it and just go wholeheartedly ahead of it and don't question is set up Mm. perfectly by the fact that they're both immediately on board with the whole, yes, of course you can marry someone you've just met. That makes perfect Mm -hmm. sense. And Benedict is is sitting there being the voice of realism going, hold on a second, ask some (laughs) questions think about this for two seconds and i think it's interesting that 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 is what allows him to be like actually wait i'm gonna see what beatrice has to say about this i'm gonna see what hero has to say about this something i've been wanting to say for a couple minutes is that Mm. so you have this central uh not even miscommunication because hero isn't even trying to communicate this Mm. deception that relies on that relies on claudio not trusting hero like fundamentally it relies on him not believing yeah yeah and Benedict and Beatrice at no point actually distrust each other. At no point yeah. do they do they believe that the other is actually dealing with them unfairly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have this one moment after Benedict and Beatrice like confess to each other where she she delivers some of the best dialogue in any play that I've that I can mm. think of. She asks him to kill Claudio and he he says like I, I can't do that. He's one of my best friends, you know, no matter what he's done. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think I can just straight up like kill the dude or cha- you know challenge him to a duel and yeah. th- thereby kill him because I'm better than him. <laughs> and and that is the moment of I think the most conflict between them, true conflict, because Beatrice goes, oh well, then you don't love me. 
because you would do this thing for me if you loved me. Mm. But it's not that she thinks he's lied to her. It's that she thinks, or she's, or, you know, various interpretations of what she's saying in that scene. But um, mm. it's that she thinks that he doesn't love her enough, not that he mm-hmm. has lied to her. Yeah. Whereas Claudio and Hero have, uh, and because they met each other two seconds ago, can't have that kind of trust, can't know each other. They don't yeah. have that backstory, that that sort of that previous relationship where, even though their banter is quite brutal to each other, I think they know that the other can take it. Like they don't do it to anyone else in this mm. entire play. Like they could, it, mm. it, it, I think it shows how witty they are. And at the start, they have this brutal takedown of each other, which they could do to other people to the similar extent. And they, they don't. They use wordplay and they use wit, but not in the same like brutal manner. Yeah. Like when mm-hmm. Beatrice comes out and he says, "Oh, will you give me any service? I will go." And he basically Benedict is talking about, "I will go and do anything rather than have a three-word conversation with this harpy." <laughs> and it's just so <laughs> yeah. mean. I will say there is a moment when I think Benedict does seem to be hurt by Beatrice's words, and it's when at the masked ball he is in disguise and they speak to each other with Beatrice not knowing or or very sort of um, boldly pretending not to know that Benedict is who he is Mm. and so she's Mm. either roasting him to his face and pretending that she doesn't know who he is or she is genuinely just saying to some random person that she doesn't know who it is by the way I totally hate this dude Benedict do you know him Mm. he's a dick Um, (laughs) Mm. and Benedict comes away from that going oh wow she really wow she really Mm. doesn't like me and it's this interesting thing where it does feel to me like there's a mismatch between what he thought was happening between them and what Beatrice thinks is happening between them Mm -hmm. unless you take the reading that she knew it was Benedict she thought he knew it was it was him yeah and that they've just misjudged the joke to each other yeah which is that's my preferred reading of it because I think it's a little bit less unkind but um Well, yeah. I, yeah, I quite like the idea that she she's doing it on purpose, partially because it means he can't answer back. And I think it's mm-hmm. interesting that the one time we see them, I think, well, no, I mean, it depends on your interpretation. But gen, gen, generally, I think this is the one time when we see them have that have that sort of banter and that kind of um, slagging each other off. And Benedict, because of the whole pretending not to be himself thing, isn't in a position to answer back. And it's interesting to me that that is the time where his feelings seem to be genuinely hurt. Mm-hmm. Is the time when he can't. There's no balance to it. Yes, you know? there's in no order back and to forth. keep playing the role, yeah, he, 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 can't, he can't. It can't be repartee. It has to be one-sided. Suddenly, mm. they're not equals anymore. Yeah, exactly. And I want to go back to that idea of like give it, giving it back because I think. You were saying that, like, oh, um, she doesn't have that with anyone else in the play. And I don't think it's for lack of trying because we see her have conversations, but not where she's like, she's not going after people. But, you know, yeah, but she's saying strident things. People. She's saying opinionated, witty things. And mm. you see people just shrug it off. Like mm-hmm. her having a conversation with, I think, with Hero and with Leonardo in a scene talking about why she doesn't want to get married and why she thinks marriage is a fucked up institution and all of this. And nobody's giving it back to her. Nobody's mm-hmm. actually engaging with her on it. Yeah, nobody's They're just saying, oh, you'll her. change your mind when you meet the right guy, blah, blah, blah. Nobody's, yeah, nobody's engaging at all with it. They're just going, oh, it's just Beatrice. Look at Beatrice being an old maid and a shrew and bitter and sh-. And nobody, nobody's mm-hmm. taking it on the level that she's presenting it. You know, nobody's, yeah, nobody's interacting with her the way she wants and needs. Nobody's challenging her intellectually, you know? They're just sitting there being like, oh, it's Beatrice again. And that sucks. Yeah, I think Benedict is honestly one of the few who appreciates her wit, apart from Don Pedro. Yeah. I think I like the interpretation that Don Pedro and Beatrice are friends. And like, just, they like, you know, joke together and make fun Mm. of Benedict together. And like, I think that the the bit where Leonardo, Antonio, and they're talking to Beatrice Mm. and she's just putting them down of, oh, yeah, they're basically like you're saying, oh, when you find a husband, it'll be great. And I just love her her reply, especially... I mean, we're going to talk about the adaptations. I do have a soft spot for the 1993 version. Yeah. But I think Emma Thompson plays it beautifully when they say, oh, will you go to hell? And she says, no, to the gate. The devil will meet me and say, get you to heaven, Beatrice, because why are you here? Just because you're not married doesn't mean you're a terrible person. Go to heaven yeah. and find the bachelors. And I just love that because it just... She's so clever. Like, yeah, she's just so yeah. clever of getting herself out of the situation, 
but also mm. making a very valid point. It's like, well, hang on a minute. Why am I going to hell just because I don't have a husband? I've got all these other virtues kicking around here. Just being a nice human. Yeah. Like, generally being a nice bean. And yet, because I do not have a man and I'm mm. not wedded to someone, suddenly it's yeah. a bad thing. And I, it, it, yeah, just I just love how Emma Thompson plays that line in the adaptation. Mm. It, it makes me very happy. And I think this goes maybe goes back a little bit to what I was saying about Benedict's cynicism earlier. It's something that he has in common with Beatrice. Like, I mm-hmm. think both of them, like, overplay it a little in the first instance, and I think you could very well argue that's to do with prior experience. But they're both saying, look, you guys have all swallowed this hook, line, and sinker. Can we maybe take a minute? Can we think mm. about this for two seconds? Can we think about what I actually want? And when you say they overplay it, I mean, it's it's probably also there's that phenomenon of if you are the only person saying something in a sea mm. of other people who are just not, you know, yes. it's it's like, so at the time of recording, we've just had Christmas mm. and I've been like, I've been going full out Jewish because mm. everything around me is a Christian at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, if yeah. they're stuck in this sea of people going, marriage is good and great. And the only thing that a woman should seek to do in their lives and, you know, the mark of a man having settled down and both yeah. of them are going, actually, I, d- I disagree with this. Of course, you're going to be, loud about it because yeah. you're the only voice saying yeah that. You, you have to go you have to go overboard because otherwise people don't listen mm-hmm. you know or you have to go overboard to the extent where where it's funny because otherwise mm-hmm. what, what do you even do with that i think humor is a defense yeah yeah i was i was really struck by the conversation that she has where she's saying oh you know i don't why do i need a husband and everybody's just going oh it's just beatrice being ridiculous again how and many she's saying of us have very had valid that conversation things. How many, mm. like, I have had that conversation with people, oh, you'll change your mind, you know, oh, when you meet the right one, suddenly you'll experience romantic attraction or you'll want kids or all of mm. this. And it's, like, that might very well be true, but it's incredibly hurtful at the time to yeah. hear when you're saying, no, this is, this is what I think. I am mm. a full human being with an independent will, to quote a Bronte, and <laughs> I, this is my care, like, carefully considered opinion. And even if yeah. it wasn't, you ha- wouldn't have the right to come in here and just go, oh, it's just M being a spoil sport. It's just M being a cynical bitch. It's like, no, M has an opinion. M has a brain. You know, and mm. it's, yeah, I I relate to it, if you couldn't tell. Uh, like Beatrice is saying, I'm not broken. And yeah. the response from people around her is to say, don't worry, you'll get fixed sooner or later. Yeah. yeah. Rage. Yeah, the entire setup between Beatrice and Benedict. I don't know if you want to talk about that, like how mm. they are effectively. Uh, I mean, from the I, I watched the 1993 adaptation recently, and mm. in that it kind of comes across as well. We've got nothing to do in the week between this party that we're at at the moment, this mass party, and when Claudia and Hera get married. So let's play Cupid and get Bitches and Bendick together because that sounds like fun. And it it kind of came Mm. across as a bit of a sort of primary school, oh, you like him and he likes you, let's get you together. And it's just, it was Mm. just a bit funny that coming across in a Shakespeare play. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I I have mixed feelings about that whole plan because in some ways it seems quite mean-spirited. Mm. they're just like oh these two people both hate marriage wouldn't it be funny if they ended up together with no thought for what that would do to them and Mm. you know uh, what if what if what if it had worked on one of them and not the other like the potential of that plan for causing a lot of hurt is monumental and it's phenomenally lucky that it doesn't end that way yeah Mm. i tell you what i would really like to see an adaptation do and i don't think i have ever seen it is play it like Don Pedro and all the other the other schemers don't actually expect it to succeed and that's why it's funny. Yeah. I think I got that vibe from the David Tennant version actually. Oh, interesting because I I very much at least from maybe Hero and I think they re- they replace Leonardo's brother with like Hero's mother in in that one I think. Uh, you get yeah. more women. But um I definitely got the vibe that Hero at least was kind of like this could work out. Well, Hero might mm. be one of the few people who knows whatever it was that happened all those years ago between the two point. of them. That's a good point. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, and I, I think it kind of it kind of comes across as a bit of oh, if if somebody like gave them a nudge, it would mm. end up. And and I think that's kind of classic rom com, even just modern yeah. rom coms now is 
in the real world, that's a dumb idea and it's stupid. Like, it's like, you know, the the, mm. the trope of the man stands outside in the rain waiting and then she comes down and they fall in. And it's like, actually, if that happened in real life, it's just plain creepy. Like, you don't want someone standing outside your door for five hours. Just no. In the same way, <laughs> kind of, in this, because it's a quote-unquote rom-com, it's, it all works out in the end, so it's fine. But in the real world... You just don't do that, like, without yeah. prior consultation of said friend. Like, mm-hmm. do you want our assistance? You know what this is? It's an early iteration of there's only one bed, isn't there? It's like, ha. we have to put them all, you know, locked in, stuck in an elevator. Or it's like, we've, we've pushed these two people together because they have potential and you want to see what happens. Whoops, they mm-hmm. fell in love too late. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and like, of all the people in the play who should be trying to, like, uh, do engineer romance... Claudio mm. and Don Pedro are n- like no, yeah. no, absolutely not. They are idiots yeah. and should not be allowed near women. Like that whole. I think one of the things that really struck me, and I don't think I picked this up the first few times I watched this, but particularly on my most recent watching, the Don Pedro going to woo Hero in Claudio's stead. It's bizarre to me. Is mm. just so unnecessary. It's an like- excuse to have Claudio show his paranoia. Mm, and his, yeah. his his readiness to believe that he's been betrayed. That's true, and I, yeah. I guess also kind of, I say naivety. It's it's mm. it's so just after at the start of the play, and and Claudio sees her and goes, "Oh my god, she's pretty. I want to marry her." And then Don Pedro says, "Yeah, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll go and woo in your name." It's mm. for me, it gave the impression of Claudio is not very experienced. He is young, and that is, I mean, he mm. is a lot younger than Don Pedro, and so mm. Don Pedro will go and woo in Claudio's name. Mm. But at the same time, it's like, well, that still put Hero in a very difficult position because yeah. there's a line, I think, it was definitely the 1993 version. I don't know if it's in the play or not, if it's sort of added in, where mm. uh, Leonardo says to Hero, if the prince doth ask you, you know what your answer is. Yeah, no, that's in it, yeah. That is in the original text. And it's kind of going, you know, she doesn't have an opinion. You know, if the prince asks to marry her, she has to say yes. So mm. if he is wooing in Claudio's name and she thinks it's the prince and she said yes to the prince and actually she's like, ha ha, I'm doing this for Claudio. Like... I don't think that's how it's supposed to have gone down between the two of them. I think it is the prince going to Hero and saying... Um, my friend Claudio thinks that you're very beautiful and wishes to marry you. Let me say some nice words mm. to you on his behalf. I don't think yeah. he is wooing. Like he, I don't think there's any deception mm. involved in the wooing in Claudio's name aspect. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I think it's also worth saying that when we see them at the start of the play, that is not the first time that Hero and Claudio have met. There is a line where Claudio says, "I saw her before we went to war, and I looked with a soldier's eye, and I liked. But now the war is over, and I can love her." Yeah. So it, it's there's a little more between them. But, yeah, uh, it is a little bit. It's more just the fact that Hero doesn't really have an opinion in the matter. Like, yeah, it, she yeah. she has no agency of herself. In contrast to Beatrice, who is so outspoken mm-hmm. because that gives her agency. People are like, oh, nobody's going to come and love you if you, you know, keep like saying all these quote unquote outrageous things and witty things and putting people mm-hmm. down. And actually, that gives, I, I feel that gives Beatrice a sense of agency. You know, that means, okay, well, if these people don't like me because I say witty things and punny things and, mm. you know, make people feel uncomfortable, then great. Yeah. I don't want to marry them. I don't want to go with yeah. that person. I'd be really interested to see something that presented her as more of a foil to Don John. Because one mm. of the things that came to mind when you were talking I'll about I'll be a canker was, in the hedge. Yeah, yeah. It's the kind of like, I, I'm not gonna, I can't be anything other than i am right i can't be mm. anything other than this somebody who says outrageous things and like and i think there isn't i think there's an element of that in the actual script is the saying is like you know you were born under a happy star like it, it's her fate it's her whole it's her character she can't not be as she is mm-hmm. and that's a really it, mm. and that's why she like why people regard her the way that they do but it's also what gets her what the ending that she wants and deserves in the end mm-hmm. and i think that's a very interesting contrast to don john's i can't i can't fake this speech you know that i ca- yeah i must eat when i have stomach and laugh at no man's leisure <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that he is a villain you know cry when i am sad and you know and i i one of the things i like the 93 adaptation for is the fact that it makes that that's actually quite a sympathetic speech 
in that mm. production. Again, Keanu Reeves kills it. I think in the David Tennant and Catherine Tate one, Don John is just very skeevy the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, he's unlikable. And it's much less relatable. But I'd be interested to see an adaptation play with that kind mm. of, the, that yeah. thing where you can't, what what you are is not what society wants or expects. And you have to, mm. and it's whether you make the decision to try and play along, whether you can play along, and what that does to you mm-hmm. as a person. I feel like that is a parallel that I don't see like played with enough in adaptations. I just wanted to add the parallel between the, the difference between Beatrice and Hero with regards like having agency and being listened to. So mm-hmm. Leonardo says to Hero, oh, you know, you know what your answer must be if the prince woos you. And mm. later that night, Beatrice turns down the prince, who is worrying on his own behalf. To yes, her. yes, that's a very good point. Yeah. yeah, that is that is true. Yeah, whether whether or not you view that as romantic, that here is an incredibly powerful man who's well respected, mm. friends with her family, could give her a nice life, an an incredible marriage for her, politically, mm. politically, materially, um, yeah. and she turns him down because she yeah. that's not what she wants. Yeah. yeah. And it, it it's it, it sort of reminds me it's not it's not that similar but um of Lizzie turning down Mr Collins a marriage that would that would mm. help her yeah um and you know it, it is not certain you will ever be made another offer of marriage mm. type thing yeah yeah but because she couldn't she couldn't do it in good conscience you know yeah as one of the things I that I like about the play versus Pride and Prejudice I do feel like. I don't know about you guys. I never really get a sense, either from the script or from um, any adaptation that I've seen, that when Don Pedro asks Beatrice, it's not she's not in an insecure position. No. You know, you don't really get from her the vibe at all that, like, this is something that she needs in order to live comfortably. Mm-hmm. No. It's never, it never comes across as a financial or economic necessity that she marry. And nobody, actually, nobody, for all everybody's going on at her about how she'll change her mind, they're Mm -hmm. all saying that in the sense of, you know, you'll want to, you know, you don't want to be lonely, you'll find the right guy, you'll have kids, blah. Not... You need it for money. We'll chuck you out on the streets to starve. Yeah, exactly. If you continue to be an economic burden on us, you know, which is something that I think, yeah, it it changes that dynamic a little. I wanted Mm. to talk about... um, the Don Pedro, Don Pedro and the proposal a bit more because like it's something mm-hmm. that I, it didn't occur to me until I saw the David Tennant and Catherine Tate one that that was something that you could play differently. I always read it as a kind of you know if we're both single by the time we're forty, you know I think we'd have fun. You know yeah. we're in cahoots, shenanigans. You know yeah we could like, be <laughs> old, we could be we old could be married couple, yeah. grumps together. Yeah, you know, yeah yeah exactly. We could we could survive and not throttle each other. Yeah you know. And, and maybe run a household together kind of thing. I do think mm. that one of the things that... Yeah, because in the David Tennant, Catherine Tate one, it's played like he's either genuinely interested or at least genuinely hurt that she said no. Which, given mm. his like whole thing about like the fact that he sides with Claudio instantly and is horrible to Hero and all of this, like it's possibly that it's just about being a guy who somebody said no to and not about him Beatrice. genuinely mm. being interested in Beatrice. But that was something that that adaptation really changes and I think is maybe more consistent with how the prince behaves in the second half. Okay, yeah. Because, Mm. like, we've already seen that he's the kind of guy who, yeah, is he doesn't... He expected her to say yes. He doesn't... Mm. um, Oh, what's the word? Yeah, he doesn't, like... He's he's hurt and he's grumpy and he's he doesn't take it very well. His pride is wounded. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, gu- I guess he would never be in a position where someone would turn him down. Yeah. He's probably brought up in this idea that he's going to be someone's. You ask someone to marry them, they'll probably say yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which makes him asking her a really big deal. Because then, yeah. if he asks her, expecting her to say yes, he is genuinely then saying, "Let's get married." Yeah, like mm. he can't ask people that as a joke, being yeah, who he yeah, is. Yeah. And I think one of the things I think is that playing it this way it makes a lot more sense for Don Pedro to side with Claudio. Okay. Because mm. he's scorned. If his conception of this whole thing is women are lucky that we ask them and you don't expect them to say no and it's a when something in this in this arrangement goes wrong, the most important thing is my damaged ego and not the fact that I have the power to utterly destroy this woman's life. Mm-hmm. That is a good point. Yeah, I never thought of that. And I feel like... The Don Pedro who asks Beatrice in a, like, you're my bro and I think we do all right, 
the Don Pedro, yeah. the 93 adaptation, it, in my head at least, it makes a lot less sense that he immediately goes, oh, let's be super vindictive about the whole mm. oh, we think heroes cheating thing. Let's denounce her on her wedding in public so that she her entire life is ruined. The guy that mm. is like, I will gently accept Beatrice's soft no on the whole platonic bros forever request is not the guy that's like, actually, yes, the sensible way to resolve this problem is to just, without asking any further question questions, destroy this woman in a public place. So my recollection, and I haven't seen it mm. recently, of the Kenneth Branagh adaptation with mm. Denzel Washington as Don Pedro, is yeah. is not, it, he's he's less vindictive. He is less yeah. uh, than in, it, it's, it's sort of, so it's Claudio's idea that they should denounce here at the altar and, and Don Pedro mm. sort of like, I'm not sure about this, but I don't really know how else to handle yeah. this. And, you know, you're the one who's been wronged. So it, it, he, he is less a driving force of that yeah. plan. And I, that think, I think point. it's kind of his own honour is... At stake. Well, he brokered that match, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I think... I was going to say just um, comparing the different adaptations. I mean, we've been talking about a lot about the 1993 version with Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson. And then the... When was it? two thousand and. 11? 11. 12? That sounds right, yeah. Yeah. 11. Um, adaptation with David Tennant and Catherine Tate, which I feel very lucky to go and have gone and seen. I think that, that play just like made me so happy. Um, mm. Mainly because I finally appreciated what the hell a soliloquy is for. Like, yeah. I, I felt like at school, you kind of read the, read the play and it's just very two-dimensional. And then you watch a film or you watch a play and you watch a good adaptation, like not a when you watch a bad adaptation of Shakespeare it is dull if you watch a really good play of it like this one um I don't know if we can link it somewhere on our tumblr if other people want to go watch it but it's so Mm. good and it gives you that story and you don't have to sit there thinking I have no idea what they're talking about because they're speaking in Shakespearean English like it's just really good they're both good and the um the physical comedy is amazing in that adaptation as well yes like you know Kenneth Branagh you have him falling through the deck chair whatever but the physical comedy the paint Mm. the paint scenes oh I forgot about the paint scene I love that it was so good absolutely hysterical and then when that scene's over and he comes out and he's just like love me yes he's covered in paint himself covered in paint and like hung over and just like he's like why why (laughs) and it's something where if you so like you know i studied this for gcse and we read the play we read the the text obviously Mm. none of that's in the text so it makes you really wonder what other stagings have done throughout history like what were they doing non-verbally to Mm. help like to augment this story and make it funnier and and flesh yeah. out the characters and do all kinds of different things with them. Yeah. yeah, I've got to say that was the thing that like changed that this adaptation changed for me and how I think mm-hmm. about like theatre in general and Shakespeare in particular. Is it hadn't occurred to me until I saw this one just how much is in the staging, mm-hmm. just how much is in the acting. I kind of gotten the like, oh, I you know I found this play quite boring until I saw people do it, or it's easier to understand when you see yes. people do it. But like there are points where you go. This has changed the entire... There's a whole arc here that has been changed without any of the words being changed mm-hmm. just by the way that you've staged it. So the, like, Don Pedro being serious about asking Beatrice to marry him, mm-hmm. for example. Like, mm. that, the lines aren't different. The lines are exactly the same. But it's a completely different subplot in the hands yep. of that adaptation to the way it's handled in something else. And, like, Dogberry, who we've avoided yes. talking about because he kind of sucks, but... I would cut Dogbury if I was adapting this, basically. But Dogbury mm. in the David Tennant yeah. one is actually not excruciating to watch. It's actually kind yeah. of endearing. Whereas yeah. the Kenneth Branagh one, it's just I just sort of close my eyes and think of England uh, throughout the I Dogbury. remember <laughs> when I first watched the Kenneth Branagh adaptation and I found, like, Bidges and Bendit incredibly funny. I laughed my way through it at, mm. what, like, 13? And then mm. get to Dogbury. And it's... I remember my teacher at school saying, like, oh, this would be the quote-unquote comedy section of the play. And I'm just sitting there thinking, but this entire thing's meant to be a comedy. We've already Mm -hmm, been laughing mm -hmm. of, like, the wit between Beatrice and Benedict. And you're saying this three-minute interlude in the middle. And what it felt like to me is... Was three hours? Same. (laughs) No, 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 no. It's a little (laughs) bit in the middle. It just felt like the intermission music in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Like... You can tune out now for three minutes while Dogfrey does his thing and then the play moves on. Like, it's not important to the plot. And I, 
you don't need it there. I wonder what we're missing as a modern audience, though. Because there must mm. have been something that made it funnier. Yeah, we must be missing something. Yeah, it's in conversation with something, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. There must be some... Maybe it was a. Maybe it was like um, a pastiche of something else that was going on at the time that yeah, we just lost the context yeah. for. And I'm sure there are articles out there about this that I'm too lazy to go and read. I mean, mm-hmm. send us an email if you know yeah. actually why that is funny. Quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. please tell us. Or if you also just hate it. Solidarity. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, solidarity. <laughs> but it's one of those things where, uh, I mean, slight, slight tangent of bashing school English lessons, but mm-hmm. you don't get that discussion at school. You can't yeah, say, you can't I, just really say hate I hate this, actually. I hate this <laughs> yeah. bit. It's pointless. I like this yeah. other bit over here. Because all you have to do is go to the specification and be like, here's a quote from Act 1, Scene 1. They say this thing. This is a metaphor. This is a... Pu-. Like, it's very, very bland. Um, mm-hmm. Or at least it was for my English lessons. So, yeah, I would recommend if you're finding it planned, just go and watch some adaptations of it, and then yeah, put your own spin yeah. on it. Like that's the whole point of. It reminds me of there's I don't know what movie it's from, and it goes this is gift set that goes around a Tumblr of uh, an English classroom, and uh, the, it's this it's this teenage class reading. Oh, yeah, um, ja- the takedown of On the Road. Yeah, yeah uh, On the Road, and one student says. I didn't like it. It was boring. I only got like 20 pages in. I hated it. It doesn't make sense. And the teacher's like, well, mm. that's a rubbish analysis. And then when, you know, it's like the, the girl's like, oh, he was on, like, you, I did, you couldn't understand a word he was saying. And another girl drives in, oh, actually, no, that's a great analysis. He was on a lot of drugs when he wrote On the Road in like two weeks. And, mm. you know, it is really dry and, and, and basically goes through why this other girl's sort of, uh, her response to the book is actually super justified and, Mm. Re- like you know if you read something and you hate it there's probably reasons why you hate it that you can yeah. put into an essay like you're not yeah. wrong um, like- and so the fact that we uh, like in in formal study of literature in school aren't really allowed to follow that instinct mm. really sucks yeah you kind of have to go you kind of have to go this is what the play is and i remember the, my teacher talking about some of the innuendo in the play but in such an awkward way yeah. that it didn't come across as actually when I was watching the adaptation earlier this week, I was going, some of this is like borderline, like innuendo you find in a Disney film to keep the parents occupied for the kids' film. <laughs> like it, it's, mm-hmm. it's quite obvious. It is quite yeah. obvious. But the teacher just like, oh, we'll just skim over that bit because, you know, it's not important. To fair, you were 13. Like what teacher... Well, what- that is true. But like... Not not from a moral purity perspective, but from a sympathy for the teacher perspective. Do you really want to have to go into all of that with teen- with 13 year olds? I mean, probably mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. But I think it kind of... I, I think it was for the fact... Because she brought it up and then said nothing more. We were all like... That's fair. Well, yeah. is everything an innuendo? Because we couldn't spot it, right? Pretty much so is the answer. It was just like, just <laughs> don't put it up in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Mm. You can't talk. I mean, we have managed to do a podcast episode now on much your thing without really talking about the sex jokes. But um, there's yeah. lots of them. You can look them up. There's going to be loads of Spark Notes like articles out there on the sex jokes and much do. They're mostly pretty great. But yeah, having having said that, we are now getting towards the end of um, uh, <laughs> the time that we have to talk about yeah, this play. Our time limit. <laughs> Who would you fight, Claudio? Claudio. You would eat his heart in the marketplace. Yep. Mm, I just yep. like it, it it you know, it's sweet of Benedict out of friendship to like be like I hesitate a little, but like if any of us were in that play and Beatrice wouldn't even have to ask. Rip you know? to say you're Montanto, like, but I'm different. He's dead now, he's already dead. So yeah. he yeah. didn't even have to ask, he's gone. The moment he opened his f- mouth <laughs> yep. just stabbed. Yep. That's it. That's the end. In it, yeah. Actually I would also fight Leonardo just as a like a wild card option because that's Ooh, your okay. kid. That's your kid. Do mm. better. It's like yes. I just want to be projected down into that and be like, "What are you doing? What yeah. are you thinking? This is your child." Yeah. 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 Angry noises. <laughs> I I agree with both of these. I think I would. It depends on the adaptation. I probably would fight Don John. I don't think mm. I would fight Keanu Reeves, Don John, but I would fight the one from the David Tennant, Catherine Tate, who I keep thinking is Jeremy Strong, but he's not played by Jeremy Strong. Uh, uh, uh. You know what? I have the same thing with him as I do with Mr. Collins. I don't want to touch mm. him. Mm. He's too, with the barge too sleazy. Yeah. He says, "Yeah, you need. We need to get the pole back." Yes. Yeah. Another question is, where would you drop an f bomb in this play if you had one f bomb to drop? Oh, I would eat his heart in the f-ing marketplace. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think I'd have to give it to Beatrice. It just doesn't matter where Beatrice gets the f bomb somewhere. Mm-hmm. Just. I don't yeah. know. I feel like it would go. It would do 
a lot to redress the injustice towards Hero if Hero mm. got the F-bomb. I think she deserves oh. it. Well, like, okay, but is this an adaptation where she takes them back or not? No, 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 no. This is when, when they go, oh, you know, here, here is the, the, the niece that's the spitting image of my daughter that's dead. Yeah. Will, you, will you marry her, blah, blah, blah. And Claudio's <laughs> like, yep, I'll do it, definitely. And Hero takes off the veil and is just like, f*** no. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I quite like the idea of Benedict going, there was nothing in the, I love so much in this world as much as you. It's not that strange. And Beatrice just goes, <laughs> See, I thought you were going to say, is there, there's nothing in this world I love so, as well as you. Is that not f***ing strange? So <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, true. Yeah. Lots of opportunities. Lots of Many opportunities. opportunities. Yeah. What do you think the cat would give this? Ooh. Ooh. There is a lot of intrigue. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of there is there. I mean, there is crime. There is actual crime yeah. and there's mm-hmm. sneaking mm-hmm. around. There is sneaking around. Yeah, but there is a lack of actual cats, which yeah. I feel Shakespeare has missed something. Well, we don't know. Well, there could have been that in a staging. Like depending on where it's set, it might be one of those. It might be like you know one of those sort of Greek. Actually, it's Aragon, so it's probably Spain, right? But um, mm-hmm. you know, could be a place with just like lots of semi semi-tame wildcats hanging around just yeah. you know i i the, thinking of the kenneth branner adaptation where they they the opening scene is them on this sort of like mountain top type place you could see you could imagine some cats hanging yeah, out there, there could be some cats, yeah i've got to say there are a lot of people in this play that deserve to get stabbed that do not get Ooh. stabbed and i feel yeah. like gothmog would have a problem with that yeah mm. I, i'll give it, i'll give it a seven out of ten for gothmog she is mm. actually right here with me as i'm <laughs> as i'm talking but um she's asleep so i'm not going to disturb her Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'd say seven, seven and a half. Yeah, fair enough. You think that's fair, Gothmog? Seven and a half. See, I'm going. I would go Ooh. six. So because I don't, I, you know, there is no murder. I don't think she's got a lot of patience for witty banter. And like li- again, lots of people deserve to get clawed and do not. And I think she would find that deeply frustrating. Oh, I thought that was a bonus that she could maybe do that claw. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. No, I, I see. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's just she's just woken up and shown me all of her teeth. So I don't know what that. <laughs> I don't know how to interpret that. Anyway, we are rambling. Be afraid. Be very afraid. <laughs> I do think we have to come up with a conclusive cat rating. <laughs> All right, um, in the brief amount of time that we have got left, what else are people reading at the moment? I mean, I've just been re-watching Lord of the Rings films, not doing much reading, so that's what I've been doing. <laughs> Very <laughs> valid. Oh, I finished Watchmaker of Filigree Street. It's amazing. I love it a lot. There is a clockwork octopus. That's amazing. all you need to know. There is a clockwork octopus, and it's amazing. Yeah, so that was good. I started A Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern, which... It's living up. It's living up to the Night Circus hype. If you were uh, into Erin uh, Morgenstern's The Night Circus, you will love this. It is delightful and weird, which I appreciate in a book. I got myself the Marie Kondo book, the the Art of Tidying, and uh, I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to stick to the the, the framework that she lays out in that because that's something that I would really like to have is a tidy house. Um, <laughs> it's written really charmingly, um, so I'm actually really enjoying reading that. Woo! Um, woo. All right. What are we reading next time? Uh, Temeraire, is it not? Yeah, Temeraire with the cat. So yeah, thank you all for listening. Please like, subscribe, review, add us on Twitter. We're on Instagram. And you can find all the links for this on our website, which I think is in the description box below. Uh, send us an email, teachingmycattoread at gmail.com. Add hello there so we know you're not spam. But yeah, say hello, send us a message and recommend us some books to read. Big virtual hugs and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you.